All right, hopefully uh, parents had a moment to talk with the teachers down there. It, it's, uh, it's good to talk. Right? It's uh, often um, um, it can be a disconnect between parents and teachers. So if you didn't get a chance to talk to the teachers, please take advantage of this opportunity. We're in church all the time together. Sometimes we're in ministries together. But uh, to, to stop and talk about school doesn't always happen. So we have this time set aside. Plus, grades and things like that have been wrapped up for the quarter so we can see some results. So uh, afterwards, there will be another time to meet with teachers um, as a group and individually. So please take advantage of that if, if you weren't able to. Uh, tonight, I would like to talk about a little bit uh, why a Christian school is important. All right, I don't know that I'll give a very good answer to this um, but uh, try to. I do think a, a Christian school is very important, uh, and I, I, um, I don't think I could describe accurately how privileged I feel. Um, you know, talk to you guys. You know, I've got to be at work at six a.m. and or you know, I, I walk. I, I walk to work. <laughs> and, I, and I show up at church, and, and there's the pastoral staff there, and there's all Christians around. Nobody's smoking. There's not rock music playing. Um, I do have to deal with your children. That's about the only downside. <laughs> um, but I, I do take this as a, a tremendous privilege, and I feel spoiled. Um, if you ever hear me complain, please smack me really hard and say, shut up, all right, because I have a, a wonderful job uh, doing this. So. If nothing else, I'm going to try to tell you why I like my job, maybe. All right, why Christian school is important. Let's pray, and then we'll look at several things. Let them get their seats. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you'd help us as we um, think about our school and and education and, Lord, your word and how it affects us, that uh, we'd appreciate it. And, Lord, uh, our school is wonderful. Our Christian schools are wonderful. Lord, help us appreciate it. And uh, take full advantage of it uh, as parents and teachers and as a church. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. First thing I'd like to do to kind of introduce this is uh, just make some kind of introductory introductory comments. So uh, first is a Christian school is a commitment for the family and the student. All right. It's uh, probably right off the top is the money. All right, uh, there's a, a free school that will pick your kids up and take them away for you right? uh, if you want it. But uh, uh, putting the kids in a Christian school means you're paying. It means you're getting them here somehow. It's a commitment. Money, time, transportation, uh, sometimes lack of extracurricular activities. We, have, we offer some things, but not everything. But it's a commitment. I think it's well worth it, but it is a commitment for the family and the students. It's also a commitment for the pastor and the church. All right, um, the 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 running the schools occupies a lot of time of our pastor and our pastoral staff and the administration and the teachers. Think, think of uh, how much simpler our pastor's life would be if there weren't schools to operate. All right, it'd be, it'd be a whole lot simpler. It's a commitment. Um, he not only has to um, deal with teachers and you know hire us and and administrate us. There's buildings that have to get built, curriculum. There's, there's, it's, it's a major commitment um, to, to run a Christian school and to have one. I think it's well worth it. I talked to a pastor once who said he would never have a Christian school because of that headache. All right, I, I kind of grimace because I think there's tremendous opportunities there. Uh, but it is a, a major commitment uh, to have a school. So on the, 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 the parent side, it's commitment. On the, the pastor's side, the church's side, it's commitment. 
uh, hopefully you don't think that you know, this is some money-making scheme where we're getting rich uh, running a Christian school. That's not it. It's, it's a commitment. Well worth it. All right, uh, going on here. A Christian school is not important just to get a good education or to get out of the public schools. Now, those are both good things, a good education and get out of the public schools. I, I, would, um, I think I'd rather have my children have no schooling, don't listen, uh, <laughs> than, than go to a public school because there, there's such uh, danger and damage there uh, potentially. But that's not the, not the uh, most important reason for a Christian school. Uh, Christian school is not important um, because the teachers are perfect. Right. Now, some of us might be. All right. Uh, wait, I'm, let me back up. I know the teachers aren't perfect. The principal, possibly, uh, but, but not the. Te- no, we're not perfect. So if you're, if you want your kids in a school where there's never a mistake made, this isn't it. All right. Um, a Christian school also is not important because the students are perfect. All right. I mean, they're, 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 the, the kids in a Christian school are sinners. Hopefully they have Christian parents and there's some other restraints in their life, but why is Mr. Ramos nodding so aggressively? <laughs> yeah. Uh, our kids are perfect, all right? We know that, but sometimes uh, we, we can lose sight of some of these simple things. I uh, also hear last thing in this introduction is a Christian school is not important to, because it's a replacement for the Christian home, all right? We know that, but it's... In no way uh, can a school replace the home, and the school shouldn't undermine the home. And, and uh, that is not ever our goal. Hopefully it doesn't come across that way. God placed the children in the hands of the parents. And, and biblically, the, the parents are given extremely wide latitude of control over those children. The school can be a, a, a very tremendous help, uh, but the, the home is that primary organization to train and teach the children. All right, what I'd like to do today is try to look at three reasons or three thoughts about why the Christian school is important. Um, I'm sure we can make other things on the list and probably add some to these, but at least three things, three thoughts about why the Christian school is important. So the first one, uh, the Christian school is a, a significant discipleship tool of the church. I once heard it described that way. I thought, oh, there's, there's a lot of truth to that. We, we have our children... In this Christian school, and they're getting taught by Christian teachers from a Christian curriculum, it, you could think of it as a seven-hour discipleship program every day of the, of the week. All right, so it is a tremendous uh, advantage for our church to have a place where the children of the church can be discipled, educated in that program. They are exposed uh, daily to dress standards, behavior expectations, uh, the the, the fact that God wants us to work hard and apply ourselves to the material. They're taught Bible doctrine in, in Bible class. Uh, so it's not inaccurate, I don't think, to, to think of the Christian school in that sense as a discipleship mechanism. It's, it helps the, the parents disciple their children, and, help, and the church then is, is hopefully uh, getting graduates who are mature Christians and able to jump in and serve God. So that's the first reason. That's the, the shortest one. It's a discipleship program. All right, second reason why Christian school is important is it's based, or should be, should be based at least, on some biblical principles. Um, so I, I made a list here of Bible principles and tried to, to, to think of their effect and how they affect just maybe life in general or, or education, the effect that these have. And hopefully our, our Christian school, as, as these kids are coming through, they're getting exposed to these ideas 
and they're becoming part of their life, part of their thinking process as they mature and develop as a Christian. So the first one, uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. I think we could probably quote verses from Proverbs along that line. Uh, here's, the, here's the couple, Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of, I'm sorry, this is Proverbs 9, 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. And then Psalm 119, 130. The interest of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. So the fear of the Lord, that is the start, uh, the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. Um, I thought of a couple illustrations maybe to help us think about this one. Um, imagine being given a set of directions. You know, go, go four blocks, go north, go three blocks, at the, you know, the blossoming cherry tree, turn, you know, set of directions. If you're a girl, you want the, the cherry tree. If you're a guy, you want turn north, whatever the directions are. Um, but you're not given a starting spot. So you could, you could follow those directions to the T, but if you start in the wrong spot, who knows where you're going to end up? So if you start your education and it's not based starting with the fact that the fear of the Lord as the foundation, who knows where you're going to go? You can, you can be logical and all kinds of other things and get to some really, really crazy places if you don't start with the fear of the Lord. That truly is the foundation, the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. Or I heard this illustrated once um, with uh, the idea of, a, if you can imagine, a giant mural on the wall, like in a gym or something, a big mural, and the lights are off, uh, and you go in there with a candle, and you're trying to, just with the candle and getting little glimpses of the mural, try to get a picture of the whole thing. You, you, you will very easily get the wrong idea of the mural if you stand back and flip the lights on, the fear of the Lord, all of a sudden you can see everything. You, you have, you have that, that, that rock-solid foundation to begin your thinking from, the fear of the Lord. That is truly the beginning of wisdom and knowledge, and that's something we start with here. God's word and the fear of the Lord is the beginning. Um, a couple of comments here before we move on. Um, what God thinks should always govern our actions and thinking. That, that fear of God, he's always in our mind, always uh, what he thinks, what he expects, governs our thinking. Uh, elementary kids, don't, don't ruin my example here because I used it today. Uh, but when I was a kid, um, we, we lived, we called it the hill. As a kid, it was just this gigantic hill, you know, with snow on, you know, like four miles tall, but it's, you know, a couple hundred yard hill. Uh, up this hill, and about a quarter mile walk from the main road, maybe half a mile to my house. And I would get dropped off sometimes and have to walk home that, that, that little bit. And I was convinced at one point, probably, I don't know, third or fourth grade, that there was this dog that wanted to eat me. It was just gigantic. I remember its head seemed like as big as this, this podium up here. And I was like, Mom, don't you love me? You could leave me down here for this dog to eat? But the entire walk home, what was on my mind? That dog. Every, every, every edge of a house I went to, I'm looking. Every, every bush, I'm looking. My ears are straining for the, the growl of death. All right. So I'm not trying to compare God to a dog, but that, that consciousness of the dog 
That should be God. Everywhere we go, what does God want? What does God think? What does God expect here? The fear of the Lord, that's the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. All right, so that's one Bible principle, hopefully, that uh, we base a whole life on, and especially our school. Uh, all right, second one. Let me flip the right page. Uh, children are under the authority of parents. I think that's pretty obvious. Uh, Ephesians 6 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. All right, so that we, we, we don't want to come between you and your kids. Uh, we want to support you as you train them. Um, the, the parents have that, that authority. Um, uh, there's a passage, and I should have looked it up in the Old Testament. The prophet was, was berating the Jews because uh, they had sold their children to slavery uh, to pay off their debts. And it's always struck me that the prophet first reprimanded the people that charged interest that caused them to have to sell their children into debt. Never really said, you bad parents, you sold your children. It's you bad people that charged interest. Again, I'm, I'm not looking to sell my children. Uh, but that, that gives us an idea of the extent of control here that God, God gives the parents over the children. Very, very broad. That is something we are losing in our society today, the, the fact that Parents are the authority for their children. Um, I don't know if any of you ever have had the experience, but I've heard of it. It never happened to me of taking your kid to the doctor and uh, the doctor saying, well, I can't really talk to you about uh, what what happened, what's wrong with them, unless I have their permission. I I told my wife, I I want a doctor to say that to me someday. So I say, well, good, just send him the bill. (laughs) If if you really think he's that important, send him the bill because I'm not paying it. But that idea that that a a parent can't know what's going on with their, we're not talking about a 20-year-old, you know, 12, 13-year-old, the doctor can't talk to them without their permission. And today we've gotten even crazy with transgenderism and all kinds of other things without parental permission, abortions without parental permission. That's, that's heathenistic, completely ungodly. It's something we're, we're losing in our society. So children are under the authority of parents. One last comment there is I, I really feel that one of our jobs as, as a school is to provide an honest report. You parents are the, the controlling interest there. You're the ones that have the final authority. We need to be honest with you. Sometimes the honesty is, this isn't very good. Other times, it's, hey, your child's doing great. But, but we've got to really give that honest report because we recognize the parents are the real authority in this situation. All right, another principle. The Bible is our unchanging, perfect foundation for what is right and wrong. All right, the Bible. Uh, here's a couple of verses. Psalm 119.89. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Uh, Psalm 119, 160. Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. So this unchanging, perfect guide to what's right or wrong. It doesn't matter the, uh, the, the whims of society. That's not the, the right word. The, the raging storms, swinging uh, <laughs> societal opinion around. That really doesn't matter. The Bible is right, and we have some unchanging, perfect guidance from it. Uh, just very quickly, I thought of some things like abortion is murder. All right, it d- doesn't matter uh, what what the rest of society says; it's murder biblically. Uh, this one shouldn't be uh, too crazy, but it is today. There are only two genders. All right, that's it. 
Um, marriage is between a man and a woman. Right? It, it, it doesn't matter as society and the guidance from the public school system and other places swing around. God's word is true. It does not change. Right? Uh, the family structure involves a husband, a wife, and children. Uh, and a, a male husband, a female wife, and children. Um, the father's in charge of the family. Uh, respect for authority. These, these ideas don't change. Our society is, is waffling everywhere, but God's word does. And we have this unchanging guide uh, that can lead us. Another principle. Uh, the universe is the creation of God. I think you probably all just about quote Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. This, this world and us are a creation of God. A couple of thoughts from that one. First of all, science and math and really every area of knowledge uh, assumes an orderly universe. I do think it's a little bit of ironic um, that people who claim the whole universe got here by random chance and just random events, they expect order when they study it, those who don't go together. Imagine if we took a group of four- and five-year-olds, right? just, you know, once you start sweating and, and panicking, we're going to release them into a room uh, with toys and stuffed animals and food and just let them play unsupervised, random activity. Nobody in their right mind is going to walk into that room and say, I can't wait to see if they put the stuffed animals in order from tallest to shortest. Right? Or maybe they'll have the books alphabetized. Right? Nobody in their right mind is going to walk in and expect that kind of order. But we should in our universe. It, was, it, it didn't come about by four- and five-year-olds randomly doing things. It was created by God. And to me, it's, it's especially uh, ironic, delicious to hear evolutionists, you know, you backwards Christians believe in the Bible, but the, 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 the whole expectation of order assumes somebody created the order. All right? This universe is created by God. Another thought about the universe being created by God is that we are given a, a mandate in Genesis to subdue this earth. Genesis 1.26, let them have dominion, talking about mankind, over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth on the earth. So we're, we're given this command to have dominion over this earth. Um, this does lots of things, but it, it gives us a, a spiritual and biblical reason to want to learn. We're, we are told that we're supposed to master this earth. We're supposed to have dominion over it. We're supposed to figure out how it operates and have dominion. That doesn't just mean killing animals and eating them, although I think that's implied, uh, uh, included, which I'm very grateful for. But understanding how physics works, studying animals and how they work, that, that dominion mandate as Christians, we, we have a spiritual motivation to study. Um, Algebra 2 class tomorrow, I expect, a little more fervent attention uh, because this is service to God that we're doing. I can't it partly in jest, but really it is. We are, we are studying the universe that God gave us, and he told us to have dominion over it. It's part of our Christian duty. Let me read you some quotes here. These are by some scientists through history. Just them recognizing the, the, the Bible or God or creation. Uh, it's, it's easy to think, oh, there's this science world that doesn't recognize God and there's Christians, but historically... Scientists were Christians, and here, here's some. Uh, Francis Bacon, uh, the scientific method, late 15, early 1600s. 
Uh, there are two books laid before us to study to prevent our falling into error. First, the volume of scriptures, which reveal the will of God, and then the volume of the creatures, which, which express his power. So that's the guy who developed the idea of the, the scientific method. Uh, Johann Kepler in the, the late 1500s, he was an astronomer. I like this phrase. As he studied, he, he spoke of this, thinking God's thoughts after him. That was his quote. As he studied the stars, thinking God's thoughts after him, recognizing this is something God created. I should expect order. I should suspect things to make sense. All right, Sir Isaac Newton. Uh, we account the scriptures of God to be the most sublime philosophy I find more sure marks of authenticity in the Bible than in any profane or secular history whatsoever. All right, so another eminent scientist recognizing God. Uh, William Herschel, another astronomer. This is a nice little uh, um, concise statement that I like. The undevout astronomer must be mad. You'd have to be insane to look at this universe and not think, well, someone had to have created it. The undevout astronomer must be met. Michael Faraday, last one, a physicist, uh, late 1800s into the, or late 17 into 1800s. Uh, the Bible and it alone, with nothing added to it or taken away from it by man, is the sole sufficient guide for each individual at all times and in all circles. Faith in the divinity and work of Christ is the gift of God. And evidences of this faith is obedience to the commandments of Christ. So this, this world was created by God. We don't have to, you know, feel backwards or awkward. It's created by God. As we study this world in all areas of knowledge, we should expect order, design, and things to make sense. All right, uh, the next principle. Uh, we should love God, not the world. Love God, not the world. A couple of verses. Mark twelve thirty, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Psalm 1, 19, 36, to play off Dr. Schreiber. Incline my heart unto thy testimonies and not to covetousness. <laughs> all right. Uh, we should love God, not the world. Um, at least my thinking and goal for our school isn't to produce graduates who become wealthy and powerful. Although if one of you do, we'll, we'll take some kickback on that, right? Um, but that's not my goal. I don't want people to, to, to leave school here and just love the world and see how much money they can make. I want students who graduate and love God and want to serve him. Right? That's the first commandment. Love God with all of our heart. We're, we're not trying to, to produce graduates just like your parents are trying to produce children uh, who love the world and just want as much as they can. All right, the next one, right in line with it, is love your neighbor. The second, man, second commandment, in Mark twelve thirty one, the, and the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Pretty straightforward. Love our neighbor. Concern about others first. Um, for Christians, the idea of charity or let me back up, charity is a very Christian idea. Uh, a lot of other cultures, uh, when, when they, they hear about giving to the poor or something, they, they think it's a crazy idea. Right? They think, well, that person's poor because in a past life he, he did something bad. I, 
I don't want to get in the way of, of, of the gods teaching him. Right? They, they, there's this thought that helping the unfortunate, it's not only a waste, you're, you're doing damage. But for Christians, it's a very, very, it's a biblical idea. We are individually given this command to help others. Right? Our country has gotten this all, all mixed up. Our government's gotten involved in uh, charity, which I think is public charity. That, that doesn't make any sense when the government takes your money or they send you to jail, <laughs> and they give it away. At some point, there's not charity involved there. But our, our government has messed this thing all up. I, I read a book about a year ago about uh, charitable giving in America, and it was interesting. They said up until it was the late 1800s, uh, most charity in America was completely private. And I thought it was really interesting. Uh, these charitable organizations, if somebody came to them that, that said they needed help, they would, first of all, if they were an able-bodied man, they'd just turn them right away. So go, go work. What's wrong with you? Right? Second thing, if there was uh, somebody who really needed help, they would go to their family and go through their family, go check with their brothers and say, you guys have an obligation to help them. And then if there's nobody at all, then they would give them some aid. Right? I just, we, we've thrown all that out now. The, the government started getting involved in the late 1800s and we have our, our current welfare system where uh, it's destroyed the idea of charity. But charity really is a, a, a Bible idea and we have a command from God uh, to give to others in need. All right, uh, another principle. Uh, utilizing both positive and negative discipline. All right. Um, Think about God. Does God only threaten us with hell? No. Ryan said no. He also offers us heaven. <laughs> and we, we can err on both sides of this. We could, we could be so nice that there's never a punishment. We could also be the, the growling bear that, you know, the best thing that you kids might get today is survival. You know, if you, if you do everything right. All right, really, God, God offers us both. There is hell. I mean, that's, that's a negative thing. Uh, but heaven's a very positive thing. All right, and, and as, as we approach handling kids in the school, uh, we try to mix both of those things in there. Uh, the teachers just, uh, we had an email exchange with, with motivational ideas, which I always enjoy reading, uh, them providing some sort of positive motivation I don't want you kids to tell me if you think they're positive. They're positive. Trust us. All right. On that. But anyway, that's a, that's a Bible idea. Uh, not only negative, but positive. And, and uh, you can probably think of, of places where people have erred on both sides of that. Really, both are a Bible idea. Right, let's move on. Uh, in, the intrinsic value of human life is that uh, individuals are important because God created them, not because they can contribute to society. They're valuable because God created them. Um, I read another book. It's called The The Book That Made Your World. It's in the bookstore. Everyone should read it. Um, Interesting book. Written by a guy who grew up in India. So so he didn't grow up in a Christian culture. So seeing America and some of the things here, he had a a very different perspective. But he told the story uh, of a a family. He, He got saved and became a missionary to his own people there in India. Of a family they were trying to minister to. They had, uh, had several children, very poor family, and the youngest child, they were starving to death on purpose. Because the dad thought, well, there's not enough to feed all of us. Somebody's got to die. Might as well be the youngest one. They can contribute the least. Right? The missionaries took the daughter, fed her, got her medical care, got her back to health, and then brought her back, and the family starved her to death. 
it's, it's easier for us not to appreciate some of these Bible principles because we really have a society that's still, as bad as it's getting, has some of these built in, just this intrinsic value of human life. Um, socialism, communism, some of these things, they don't value individual human life. Right? They're fine with, with lots of people dying as long as the whole advances by whatever that description that is. All right? There's not an appreciation and value of human life. That is a, a Bible idea. All right, uh, three more here. And we've got to get to the last point. Uh, three points, uh, three more Bible principles. Uh, the Bible gives us uh, the, a correct view of strength and manliness. And we can also say femininity and, and womanhood or something like that. Um, the right idea, the idea of, of uh, well, some of the Greek heroes are selfish and greedy. Um, you might remember reading stories from the Middle Ages or probably or maybe in the, the Orient of, of people who lose a battle or mess up. And as an honor, they have to kill themselves. And they're, they're, they're lifted up. It's like, wow. What a great person. That's not in the Bible, if you're wondering, that you commit suicide. <laughs> right? The Bible gives us a very different idea of, of manliness. The, the, Jesus is a good example. He left heaven, became a, a person, humbled himself to help those who could give him nothing. Right? He wasn't greedy. He wasn't selfish. He humbled himself and loved others, as the second commandment was we saw earlier. So the Bible, even the idea of what we think of as of manhood and womanhood or what a hero would look like, the Bible gives us a very different picture than lots of other cultures and unfortunately even what our culture uh, is giving us at times. All right, the next one, uh, work ethic. That's a Bible idea, the fact that we should work. Again, uh, lots of cultures uh, have looked at work as something dirty, not that you get we get dirty when we work, uh, but something low. And if you're wealthy and powerful, then the, the, the benefit was you didn't have to work. Only the poor people or only the people who in a past life they did something bad and they're reincarnated in this low spot, they have to work. I don't. This idea of it being low and dirty. Really, uh, work is, is a gift from God. It, it, it came to us before the fall even. And it's a Christian idea that we have an obligation to God to work hard. Right? If you, um, I think most of you can appreciate the, the, the satisfaction that we get out of working hard and accomplishing something. It's easy to think, man, if I could just have a whole week to do nothing, I think it's really boring fast. <laughs> you don't know what to do. But work, that, that is a Christian idea, the fact that we have an obligation to work. All right, one last one here, and again, we could go on with more principles, but I think this is making the point, is that we have an obligation to God to obey those in authority. We obey the police and others, not because they have bigger guns or, you know, John's going to throw us on the ground or something, or Andy, um, Seth, Seth might do that. Um, not because they're bigger than us, but God tells us to. We have an obligation to obey those in authority, not because they're smart or they're friendly. God says obey, and we should. Um, there's a, a government principle that, that comes out of this idea of law and order, that there's laws and people obey those laws. Even the government obeys the laws and we get an orderly society. That's a Bible idea that we have this obligation to God to obey. If you if, imagine playing a basketball game where the ref just made up rules as he went and the players made up rules as they went, it, it would be chaos and disorder. No one would enjoy it. 
And that's what happens in countries where there's not law and order. We are losing it again, but that is a Christian idea, this obligation to obey God. So, all right, we have the first point was that the Christian school is a discipleship tool for the church, which I think is a valid point. Then we have these biblical principles that, that it's founded on and hopefully is imparting to the children uh, as we help the parents impart the same things. The last point I'd like to think about is that our society needs the salt and light of Christianity. Our society needs this, and the Christian school uh, should play a role in that. Uh, we, are, we have graduates who should come out believing in creation, <laughs> believing in God, having some of these principles in their mind and their thinking. They should be that effective salt and light. So our society needs, not, needs Christians in general, but needs the contribution of our Christian school. Excuse me. Um, our society in America is going to implode, and I think it might be in the process of imploding um, because of that lack of salt and light. Um, our founding fathers talked about our constitutional system uh, being designed for a moral people and in, uh, inadequate for any other. So as, as our country jettisons biblical morality, the Constitution doesn't, doesn't function as it should, and we are, we are losing our freedoms. We're seeing our whole society implode as, we, uh, as, as the salt and light of Christianity has not been as effective as it should. Uh, the solution to our society crumbling isn't politics. All right? And I, I follow politics and I, you know, I try to keep abreast of what's going on, but really that's not going to be the change. The deciding factor is going to be Christians like us who are that salt and light. There's an unsaved world that needs us to reach them. Hopefully the Christian school plays a role in preparing students who will graduate and go on and be that effective salt and light. But that is the solution. Our society needs Christians that will be the salt and light. And then the last point kind of along the same line is that the unsaved need this, not just our society, so it continues as we're used to it with some freedoms, but the unsaved, regardless of what happens to our society, the unsaved need Christ. They're, they're, they're still in eternal hell or eternal heaven, regardless of what happens with Supreme Court cases and who becomes president and who runs Congress. There's still people going to hell, and we have an obligation. Hopefully the Christian school plays a part and a role in preparing people to fulfill that obligation. So, Christian school. Uh, I think a very, very important thing, uh, hopefully something we appreciate. I know it's a commitment on the part of your parents, and I do not take that lightly. So let's pray.